Our second reading this morning comes to us from the letter to the Hebrews. We'll be reading in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Listen for God's word to you. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are, uh, I guess, not in the middle. We've we've recently begun a series of talks about the um, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. It, October 31st of this year is the 500th anniversary of the date that Martin Luther nailed his debating topics on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and kicked off what was the what became the Protestant Reformation. And um, that's interesting, you know, if you're into history, you know, that's a great topic for the history book uh, channel or whatever, but, um, but does it matter to us? And that's what we're trying to evaluate. We're trying to find the ways that it does matter to us. Last week, we looked at the question, who is qualified to speak for God? What makes someone qualified to speak for God? That's the question we looked at last week. And if you weren't here, you can listen online. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the question, who is qualified to speak to God? Not for God, but to God. Who can speak to God? So that's the question we're going to look at today. And on the one hand, it seems kind of silly because we believe in prayer. We believe in song as a type of prayer. So of course we believe that, that we can speak to God. But let me, let me put, put it this way. Or let me come at it from a different angle. I want you to imagine, um, that there's something you would like to talk to God about. And it can be anything at all. Just, wide open slate. You can talk to God about anything at all. So, so just take a moment and think what it might be. So, so for some of us, that might be a health concern, maybe for ourselves, maybe for somebody we care about. We have a health concern that's on our mind. Maybe we're thinking about, um, the, the result of health. We'd like to have a long life, um, a long, healthy life. Maybe what we're thinking about is we'd like to conquer some addiction. Maybe we're thinking about some kind of a pressure we're facing at school or at work, and we would like to talk to God about that. Uh, maybe what we'd like is help with some sort of relationship trouble. You know, there's this person, and I'm not sure what I should do about it, and I'm not sure how to move forward. You know, I, I'd like to maybe go to, to another level, but I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do, and I'd like some celestial advice so, so think about what that might be for you. Maybe for you it's money, just flat out. Uh, the relationship I'm most concerned about is my relationship with my bank. And there's a relationship between my income and my outgo, and I don't care for that relationship. So I'm, I would like some money. So, so pause for a moment and think to yourself what it is you would like to ask God. Okay, now let me ask you this. Why don't we do that? See, for a lot of people, we don't take those requests to God. We feel that, that, you know, for, 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 for many people, they're not sure if God exists. 
right? Why should I waste my time talking to some invisible sky fairy, right? So they say, I'm not even sure there's somebody to talk to. Other people say, well, I, I, I'm okay with the idea that there is a God. I just don't believe he would listen to me. Who am I, right? I can't even get into the White House. Why should I get into heaven? So, so the, some people just say flatly, for practical purposes, there is no God who will listen to me. But even those of us who have faith will say, yeah, but, you know, I don't bring that particular request to God because I'm concerned that God won't like it, that he won't approve of that request, and um, he will just turn it down. Because everybody else turns down my request, why wouldn't God turn down my request? Or maybe... Um, Maybe we're concerned it's not a worthy request that God, you know, desires so much more. And here you are, you just want a sports car, right? And so we say, you know, I'm not going to bring that request to God because it's not a worthy request. We basically say no for God because we just assume God's going to say no to us. Uh, so uh, whatever whatever reasons there are, and, and those are just some. But if you if you imagine, what are some of the reasons people don't take their requests to God? What all those reasons do, any one of them, all of them illustrate a principle which is that we have been cut off from God. That there is a distance between us and God. That, that there is um, what, what the Bible sometimes calls <clears throat> a barrier between God. Sometimes it uses language of the exodus or the exile. It says, it says that we were in the promised land, but we got moved out of the promised land, and now we're in a land of exile. We're in a land of bondage, and we don't have that kind of ready access to God anymore that we used to have. So the Bible sometimes uses language like that. Sometimes it uses the language of, of the, the Hebrew temple. So it would say that, that there's a courtyard, and I can't go any further. There's barriers between me and God. There's the, the barrier at the end of the courtyard, and then there's curtains within the temple that I can't go past this curtain into the holy place, and I sure can't go past this other curtain into the most holy place. So the Bible sometimes uses this language of separation with the idea of a barrier. Sometimes it's distance. It's just plain distance. God seems so far away. So collectively, all of these different pictures are of people who have been um, cut off from God, that the connection is broken. We don't feel like we're connected to God for a bunch of different reasons. And what Scripture tells us is that the problem is at our end. That God still loves us. That despite what has come between us, despite the problem that has cut us off from God, God still loves us. And, you know, the evidence of that is that we're still breathing. That, that the sun is still shining. Rain still falls on the earth and crops still grow. God showers common grace on us. Um, so that we can have some sense that God doesn't hate us. And maybe in, in, you know, in a particular area of my life, I may feel like, well, if God doesn't hate me, then how come blah, blah, blah. But the idea is there's a lot of areas of our life where we say, this is something that God does just to show that he doesn't have a problem with us. It's us who have a problem with him. And one of the ways the scripture describes this is in the very early pages of the, the um, Old Testament. Um, it talks about the fall from grace in the garden. And what we read there, I think I've got the verse coming up. It talks about Genesis. And it says, when the, when the people, um, Adam and Eve, when they realized that they had been um, cut off from God, um, it says that they were... All right. This is why I need to mark my Bible. 
So I'm lazy. Okay, so what happens is in verse 8 of chapter 3, so way back at the very beginning of the Bible, it says, um, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? God's still fine. God doesn't have a problem with us. It's we who have a problem with God. And the man replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid. This is the way the scripture describes our problem, that we are cut off from God, not because God is going to zap us, right? God is not going to squish us like a grape. God still loves us, but the... The disconnection goes so deep that we're afraid to be anywhere near God. So we hide ourselves from God. Well, that raises the question, okay, well, if God still loves us, and if the problem is at our end, why doesn't God just close that distance, right? Why doesn't he come to us? If if he still loves us, why doesn't he come to us? Well, our reading from Deuteronomy answers that question. The answer is, when God does... People are generally terrified. So we read in Deuteronomy, the reading in Deuteronomy, this is where God delivers the Ten Commandments. Moses is referring back to that experience. And he says, he says, the Lord our God um, did not make a covenant with our answers, but with all of us who are alive today. And he says, at the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary because you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. And he spoke to me, and I passed his words unto you, and he then recites the whole Ten Commandments. So um, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the house of um, slavery and so forth. But then he goes on, he says, The Lord spoke these words to all of you assembled to the foot of the mountain. He spoke with a loud voice from the heart of the fire, surrounded by clouds and deep darkness. This was all he said at the time, and he wrote his words on two stone tablets and gave them to me. But when you heard the voice from the heart of darkness while the mountain was blazing with fire. So they have this uh, perfect theophany. They have this perfect encounter with God. But do they say, you know, I come to the garden alone when the dew is still on the roses? No. What they say is, they say, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the heart of the fire. Today we have seen that God can speak to us humans, and yet we live. But now why should we risk death again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed by this awesome fire. Can any living thing hear the voice of the living God from the heart of the fire as we did and yet survive? So you, Moses, you go yourself and listen to what the Lord our God says and then come and tell us everything he tells you and we will listen and obey. So the people of God say um, one of those experiences was enough. Okay, I don't ever want to go through something like that again because it was terrifying. You know, my heart is still racing. So Moses, you go deal with God and then you come back and whatever God says, I'm fine with that because I don't want to go anywhere near God again. So that's the picture that we have in Scripture. And I'm going to illustrate it with some some drawings. The the reformers would have been upset that I have drawings in church. Uh, One of the things they did is they knocked out all the stained glass windows. But I'm going to make a blow for more stained glass. So here's a picture coming up that illustrates our predicament. Our predicament is that we've been cut off from God. So it's like we're on one bank of of a river and God's on the other bank. Okay, so we're there and there's no way to cross that cross that, right? There's nothing we can do. We are disconnected from God. But the question is, well, why doesn't God come to us? 
And as we heard in the, uh, in the uh, reading from Deuteronomy, if we come to God, if we, if we have a theophany, if we have an encounter with God, then this is the problem. When God comes to us, we're terrified. Okay, so what can we do? Well, the next picture shows we ask Moses to be our intermediary. So Moses gets the, the Ten Commandments and we're off you know, somewhere far away and that works for us, right? And that is really the, the, the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures. The rest of the Hebrew Scriptures say that God works through these intermediaries. Moses and then of all the great prophets, Elijah and Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets of the people of God function that way as an intermediary. And what Christians believe is those intermediaries point to a perfect intermediary, Jesus, who would come and not simply be an intermediary, but he would be God incarnate. So the next picture, God incarnate. So the intermediary becomes the incarnate God. So now God is still up in heaven, but in some way, God is present in the form of Jesus Christ. So that's what Christians believe about Jesus. That Jesus has closed that gap, not just as an intermediary, though. Jesus has done something else. And that's where our reading from Hebrews comes in. Hebrews tells us this. He says, so then, I think, is the reading next? I need a display. All right. Uh, so, so then, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. So, so we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. So he's saying, well, where is Jesus? He's gone back. Okay, he has entered heaven. He has crossed through the boundary, these barriers, these barriers that were erected, the, the wall of the courtyard, the curtain, the second curtain. Jesus has passed through these barriers, and he has gone back into heaven. But more than that, he is a high priest. He is a high priest, and a high priest is important because what a priest is, is he's a bridge builder. Uh, the word priest is pontifex or pontiff. It's where the, the Roman church gets the word pontiff. It actually means the one who builds a bridge. And Jesus is our great high priest. He's our mega high priest. Okay, Jesus is the bridge builder who put a bridge over that chasm. He eliminated the distance between us and God. So I'm going to stick with the bridge metaphor. But remember, there's a lot of ways that, that Scripture describes this problem, breaking down barriers and so forth. So Jesus is a pontiff. Jesus is a high priest. Jesus is one who makes bridges. And because of that, it says this. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. He knows if it's safe to be over there, right? He was here, right? He knows what we deal with. He knows He knows why we're afraid to be on the other side of that chasm. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So he says, therefore, do this. And if we do this, if we cross that bridge, we won't be zapped, we won't be squished like a bug. Instead, we will find mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So that's the promise we hear in Scripture. He's explaining this, and then he says, and he says, because of that, he says um, in verse 14, he says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Because we have this great high priest, we have this great pontiff, this great bridge builder who has reconnected us to God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. So, there is an application right here, and if you have to leave, then this is the application, which is, don't wait, just go, 
right? Go right in. This is not the White House. There's not a fence. There's no guards. Go right in. The bridge was built so you could go into God's presence right now. So do that. And now I need to like pause for 30 seconds and say, and now, how does this connect up with the Protestant Reformation? Well, we're in a series about the Protestant Reformation. So here's our hero, Martin Luther. Um, and we're going to celebrate long live the Reformation for the rest of this month. And how does this tie in with that? Well, the answer is two things. One of them has to do with the bridge. What, what people in the Middle Ages, because of the teachings of the medieval church, wondered about was, tell me more about that bridge. Before I step out onto that bridge to go into the throne room of God, I need to know some things about the bridge. I need to know, and I've got a list of some questions coming up. So the, is there any other bridge? And every Christian agrees there is there is only one bridge. We heard Jesus say at the beginning of our worship service, he said, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but to me. This is the bridge. You don't get to pick from seven different varieties. So Christians believe there is no other bridge. But we have other questions. Okay, so this is the bridge, huh? Hmm. You know, I, I'm still not sure if I should cross that bridge. So we ask the question is, is the bridge reliable? Will the bridge hold me up? You know, I've got a lot of sin that clings to me. Maybe I should take a shower first and then cross the bridge. And what the Protestant reformers stressed is that you can't get clean on this side of the bridge. The only way you can clean the sin off you is by using the bridge. So don't stand on this side of the shore saying, well, once I get my life together, once I, once I conquer this addiction, once I deal with this broken relationship, once I make amends for the way I stole that money, once, once I, um, deal with the problems, the wreckage in my life, then I'll cross the bridge. And the answer is no, the bridge was designed with you in mind. The bridge will certainly hold you up. But then we ask, yeah, but you know, I still kind of like the idea of an intermediary. So can somebody else walk over it for me? Right? Can there be some guy up at the front of the church? Uh, maybe not a great high priest, but just a regular priest. Can, can I have a priest who walks over the bridge for me? And like Moses, he comes back and, and tells me what God's got to say. And the reformer said, um, there are people who have different offices in the church. We do different functions in the church. But no, ultimately, the bridge was designed for each of us. And we're all supposed to go into God's throne by ourselves. That, that we, don't need, we don't need somebody else to take our requests for us. That we can all go into the throne room. And then one last one is, <clears throat> how about if I just ask the people who are already on the other side. How about if I ask Mother Teresa or St. Benedict or or St. Augustine? How about if I just ask one of those people who's already there? I say, hey, put in a good word for me. You're already there. Um, you can just whisper some, some requests in God's ear. And again, this is basically the same problem. The bridge is for me. The bridge is for you. We don't need... I mean, you can ask them, right? But But by doing so, you're not paying Jesus a compliment. You're saying, you know, I still don't trust that bridge you built. I don't trust that you're a competent pontiff. I don't think you know how to build a good bridge, not one good enough for me. And so you can ask, you can ask the saints to put in a good word for you. But what the reformer said is ultimately the bridge is for you. 
So that's the first point that the Protestant reformers stressed. And I'm not saying that the Catholics disagreed over this. I'm saying it was a difference in emphasis, and um, uh, we don't have to relitigate that whole argument. But these are the points that the Protestant reformers stressed. So they stressed that the bridge is strong enough for you. It's the only bridge, and it's reliable, and you should walk on it. So that's the first one. The second one is this. What is the church? What's, what's the role of the church in this picture? Because, you know, before Jesus went back to heaven, before he entered heaven, he established a church. Now, we know the church is not a building, right? The church is us. That us and down the street in a building down the street and up the street, that the church is the people of God around the world and down through the years. That the church is all of God's people. But Jesus established this building in the metaphor building, he established the church. It's not a building. But if Jesus is a bridge, and he's not made out of concrete either, right? So if Jesus is a bridge, then the church can be seen as a building. And if the church is a building, what is it there for? What is the church there for? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not a toll booth. Okay, the church is not a toll booth. It's positioned very nicely to be a toll booth. And sometimes some leaders in the church said, actually, this would make a fine toll booth, but it's not. Everybody gets to go on the bridge for free. Okay, Jesus paid the price. You don't have to pay a dime. The church is not a toll booth. The church is also not a border checkpoint. It's not some quality control station where we check for for fruit flies or whatever and make sure that you don't have anything yucky that you're trying to get across the border. It's not a border checkpoint. The church is not for good people to make sure that they're qualified to walk across the bridge. The church is actually something else. The church is a sign that tells the world, here is where the bridge is. We tell the, we tell the world, here's where you can find the bridge. So the church is a sign that points to the bridge. The other thing the church is, is it's a distribution center. You know, sometimes we think of the church, um, the, the grace of God, that, that mercy and grace we heard about, that we, we see it as, as something that is for us. But it's not. I'm sure you've seen the pictures in the news, the, the harbor in Puerto Rico, filled with container ships ready to speed relief to people in need. But it's not getting to them. And the church should never be that kind of place. The church should never be a harbor that's filled up with grace and mercy because we haven't done our role to get it out to a world that is hurting, a world that doesn't know that they can use that bridge yet. So the church should be a distribution center. It should be a place where we, uh, we, we store things, but only long enough to then figure out how to get it out into the world. The church is called not to be some kind of a candy store for believers, but a distribution center for a hurting world. So, what, what is this all about? Ultimately, go right in. Jesus has built you a bridge. You can walk right into the throne room. There are no fences, there's no gates, there's no guards. You can go right in. So go right in, and then when you receive the blessing, share it. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks um, that when we hid ourselves from you, um, you did not leave it there and say, well, maybe one day they'll get over it. 
But you came to us. You came to us first to intermediaries and then ultimately through the perfect intermediary, your incarnate son, Jesus. But he eliminated the need for an intermediary. He became a bridge so that we can have access to you directly. And we pray, Lord, you'd give us the courage to know that the bridge will hold us up, that we don't have to get get right on this side before we can cross the bridge, to give us the grace to know that whatever we ask in his name, you will grant. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.